Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Hi, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Grant. How are you? I'm not too foul at all, in fact, and I'm looking forward to uh, the contents of today's episode because it's about a distillery, I believe. Well, it's about distillery and health and functional food. I mean, it's a win-win-win. Do you know, when I first started in this role, one of the very first gigs I got was to head up to Byron Bay for a macadamia uh, function or event, and I met the Brooke family. So, 30 years ago, Pamela and Martin Brooke bought a rundown dairy farm in the Byron Bay hinterland. As they rehabilitated the subtropical rainforest and built a working macadamia farm, their two boys, uh, Will and Eddie, were put to work clearing out Lantana and packing and selling bags of Brook Farm's very first mueslis at local markets. So, today we're going to fast forward and have catch up with Will and Eddie and look at where the company is now. Will is heading up Brook Farm but also has, uh, in the last year or so, started with a company called We The Many. We're going to find out more about that. And Eddie has set up Cape Byron Distillery, which was purpose-built on the 96-acre farm that the family owns and is now producing a range of award-winning gins, uh, a liqueur based off macadamias, but also currently, uh, well, currently in the wings is a whiskey. So, we're going to catch up with these two and find out all about where the company and the businesses are at. Welcome, Will, and welcome, Eddie. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having us. (laughs) So, I remember, Will, when we first met you telling me about how you guys had to crawl in under under weeds and God knows what else and uh, pull out the lantana. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was fun times. That's how we spent all of our school holidays for the most part. And uh, if you're if you're clearing rainforest and clearing weeds, and particularly clearing lantana, you need to be uh, vertically challenged, as it were, because you need to be short enough to be able to get underneath all of those branches, all of those bits that get caught up in your clothing. And so, me and Ed get sent underneath the lantana to get to the root of the thing, which is a a real plague for for our our farm, or used to be uh, for the rainforest, and then get to the root of that plant, be able to poison it, get rid of it, so the rainforest can flourish. But they were yeah, fun times back in way back in the day. Now, <laughs> do you remember that as well, Ed? Just being sent in under the uh, underneath into the undergrowth to pull these pull these weeds out. Oh, we had um, a lot of memories growing up. A lot um, on the farm, you know, we'd. You know, we'd be lured with uh, false pretenses going, right, you know, we're going to get you to the beach eventually and we'd spend the day, you know, with machetes and we'd be trimming things out. But I think for us that was just our family life. We didn't knew. We didn't know any better. And, you know, for us especially, I remember um, one of our rooms uh, when we were renting here in, in Byron Bay before we finished our house it also doubled as the first warehouse. So we had to kind of climb through boxes of muesli uh, as we went to our bed. But again, that was that was just our family life and uh, we knew nothing different. 
Yeah. Is it fair to say though that when you when you're growing up in that environment where there is such a focus on the rehabilitation of the local environment and that that sort of uh, that real recognition and respect for the local landscape and the land that it just becomes part of your blood that for you boys it's just a complete given that that's always going to be a focus of your businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I realised that until some time later, particularly being involved in in business with Brook Farm and talking with other businesses about what they do sustainability-wise. I think the environment and quality and sustainability are so ingrained in the two of us from spending, you know, the earliest part of our lives working on our land and creating great food that when you talk with other people that, you know, there's things where, well, yeah, we should be, you know, we should be sustainable. We should be farming this way. And to find out that other people don't find that natural, I think for us, I feel that for us that's a bit of a gift because it's it's so much a part of every single thing that we do. And, you know, the farm inspires everything that we do from a from a product and a business point of view. It's a, it's a, it's a nifty tool, that's for sure. Yeah. Do you want to give us just a brief, you know, summation of of Brook Farm in terms of what it's doing? I mean, I know it, it it's highly renowned for its mueslis, but it's a it's a much bigger, it's a much broader sweep these days, isn't it? Yeah. I so I guess at Brook Farm, the number one thing that we want to do is create the highest quality, most delicious, healthy food that we possibly can do. And like I said, everything's still created in the family kitchen by mum at home um, and we started on the very first products that we created were the, the toasted and natural mueslis and that was really out of a, uh, a wanting to be, you know, back in the day it was because we wanted to create a cereal that didn't taste like the packaging that it came in. Uh, we've got much loftier aspirations than that now. I mean, everything that we do, we, we have to pass, it has to pass the quality test, it has to pass the family test and we've moved from mueslis uh, and granolas to gluten-free products. Again, the taste has to come first. We created the wild berry granola, which uses native Davidson plums. Uh, We we create delicious macadamia oils, uh, trail mixes that you can find on the the airlines and things like that, as well as you're flying about the world. Uh, And then one of our newest products is the puff corn. So that's this delicious little puff corn snack, but we make do a house-made coconut butter with that one and then like lightly sprinkle it with a little bit of salt, a little bit of maple syrup. One's got some nice little spicy flavours and, yeah, I guess it, it, for us, like I said, it's, it's got to taste amazing uh, and it's got to be inherently healthy because I guess it comes back to that, that farm inspiration is getting as close to the real product as you possibly can and I think you taste that in the products that we create. Brook Farm really started from that health, good for you base, which of course the wellness market has grown so much, particularly in probably the last five years, you know, but particularly the last three. I mean, for Brook Farm, is this? It seems almost like a natural progression. Whereas for other companies, it might be that they have to almost do a complete pivot to come in from making a, in air quotes, normal cereal to doing something that has a, a better health. Uh, flavor profile. How do you guys read the room, so to speak, and adapt or adjust the product range to fit that? That is a 
Great question and one that I think is, I guess the reasons behind what we do is still at the very core of what Brook Farm is. So when we look about trends and things like that, that are coming up, so things like keto that are here now or gluten-free that, that that came about, we never, ever want to follow a trend just for the sake of it. For us, we want to be looking at the things that make us really excited and the purpose around those products. So to give you a great example, um, one of the first ones uh, was the gluten-free muesli. So when in, we're talking way back in 2001, our gluten-free muesli was created. Uh, celiac was was not a thing, but we knew what it was. And coming back to that great tasting food thing, we wanted to create amazing, tra- tasting, delicious food that happened to be gluten free. That's what our, that's what all of our gluten free products are. Because just because you have a certain health uh, requirement doesn't mean you should sacrifice flavour. Um, on the other side, another incredible example is mum had a a friend of hers that was going through uh, chemotherapy being a really tough time and she went on the ketogenic diet well before this we're talking almost a decade ago now well before it was a thing um and she couldn't have it she couldn't get a cereal so mum created her own keto cereal she was just selling it you know not selling it to her sending it to her um as she was going through her treatments and that ended up becoming what's now our keto paleo granola which is one of our most popular products so it's it's the things that get us excited not what's happening in the market directly it's got to, it's got to pass the family test first mm, sure Ed, tell me where did the idea for the distillery start it seems to me to be quite a stretch to go from health mueslis and granolas to, <laughs> i'm going to make some gin <laughs> <laughs> From regeneration to breakfast cereals to gin, you can't see the the path. Oh, I know, sure. right? I don't. I mean, yeah. I can always see a path to gin, but you know, like that's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think you know to 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 give you a bit of a, a a background when it comes down to anything we we do, you know, we talk through our quality sort of framework or what we talk about is our filters. So regardless of if we were doing spirits or, or muesli or if we put our mind to something else, those core quality uh, and kind of real um, ingredient and real food processes, you know, the old if you scratch the surface, you know, uh, are we true to who we are? That's always a kind of a thing with our businesses. But um, but to give you a quicker backstory, um, Will and I grew up um, within, you know, within Brook Farm. In Brook Farm, we talk about it like a brother or a sister. So every day I'd come home from school, we'd come home, we'd come home to, you know, five to six different products or bowls of muesli that mum was working on. And around the kitchen, it was always this love of food and, and food was creativity. And And I think that was one thing for us and myself in particular, which was, uh, are kind of born into me. Um, so I always, I had a love of food and, and really that creativity. And uh, I, I found that through the food industry and I was working in kitchens uh, when I was younger. And when I was 18, I moved uh, into Brisbane. And uh, as anyone moving into a big city does, one of the first jobs you do is you get a job in the bar and, you know, got to got to earn your way. And um, as I was attending university there and I just fell in love with the, with the spirit industry. I remember one of the first 
um, uh, one of the spirit trainings I went to, there was someone standing up talking about how, I think it was tequila, you know, how tequila is made and how the agave grown in this beautiful parts of Mexico and the process and, you know, and, and this allure and there was a lot of farming connection. Um, and then I sort of, I, I got to work in a lot of great bars. I had some really good mentors in the bar industry and worked with some spec in some spectacular cocktail bars. And again, I found that creative output in, in, in the spirit industry. And, um, yeah, I suppose after a career in that, um, the first opportunity I had was as an ambassador. So the thing that led, that kind of gauged me into the industry, I got to be the one that used to educate bartenders or consumers about, you know, how is gin made? What are the origins of gin? How is tequila? How is whiskey? How is bourbon? All these great and, and, and about the processes, but... More so, you know, it's about engaging with these brand stories, um, and I just, I just, you know, you know, the old saying took took to it like a duck to water, and I kind of just felt that I really found a, a quite a happy place there, and um, and because I resonated quite quickly. But one of the first brands I got to look after was um, uh, was Brooklady and the Botanist Gin, and I had to stand up you know, the next day in a room of my peers who I've known in the industry and teach them about this spectacular Scotch whiskey made on the island of Isla. And when I learn about it and the way I did was to watch every single YouTube video possible that Jim <laughs> McEwen had done talking about the whiskey or the gin and how it's made. But um, I had such a connection because when he got up and talked about the spirit, he didn't talk about just the attributes of it. He talked about the farmers growing the barley. He talked about that it was the people that really made that special, that product special. It was this distillery that got brought back to life is putting food on people's um, tables in their community. And so I suppose innately uh, how Will and I grew up and our sense of community and connection with the land, it was quite easy for me. Um, but anyway, I'm digressing. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 think, went <laughs> I, mean, I think what you're saying is really it does really resonate with what Will was talking about as well. That 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 you you know Brook Farm. Um, it's so much more than what a, than a muesli. You know, this is a this is it's embedded in so many. There's so many factors going into it, and that's what we're seeing at the moment with with how consumers are, are buying. Is they want. They want a story. They want to under. They want there to feel that when they're buying something, they're they're helping a farmer, or they're buying a product that has reason, even if it is just for nutrition, um, or because it tastes good. So, um, no, I, I don't think you're digressing at all. I think that that's a really, I think that's a really interesting motivation where you know a lot of people would just scoff and go, well, you know, you're just a uni student working in a bar, but <laughs> you know, it obviously there was something about it that did resonate. Otherwise, you know, Kate Byron wouldn't exist now. Absolutely. Um, and then I think from there, so that led me into being a, uh, a bit of a career in the spirit industry. So from being an ambassador, I, I sort of started on the bottom rung as a marketing coordinator and worked in sales for a company called South Trade. And we, um, I still say we because I love that business there and especially the founders. Um, they imported and distributed really premium spirits from around the world. Um, so I went from marketing to sales and ended up as a brand manager 
looking after a number of great and, and different spirits, but in particular, Brooke Laddie and the botanist, and it all sort of came round, um, you know, full circle. And I got to put on a tour for the great Jim McEwen, and I was just beside myself with excitement <laughs> and, you know, honoured to be in this man's presence. And from there, you know, to, 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 to cut a very long story short, we went around Australia, 22 sellout shows, 100 people plus packing into auditoriums. And during this tour, we formed quite a friendship. And he is a very sort of family values very values-driven person and he asked me about my family, where I'm from, and I told him about our love of land and our community and our family and, and kind of the purpose about making great products and it was just this, you know, almost light bulb or, 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 or sort of, you know, arm-pinching moment and we talked about native Indigenous ingredients and how many come from our rainforest and I was telling him, you know, Jim, you wouldn't believe, you know, you think about flavours that exist in gin like fruit or citrus or aniseed. You know, we've got aniseed myrtle and cinnamon myrtle and native finger limes and it was just this idea bubbled up and he turned to me and he said, Eddie, we were meant to meet and we're <laughs> going to start a distillery. And, and I still bear the scars here. And uh, and for us, <laughs> we knew we wanted to start a new family business. And I called up the folks. I remember chatting to Will and it was just a, a really meant to be. And a lot of those things that we'd been, you know, working on, you know, they just sort of fell into place. And that was kind of the birth of the idea for the distillery. So when did the distillery open? 2016. We uh, distilled our first product in uh uh, November 2016 and sold our first bottle in December. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then, so today there's a there's a dry gin and there's a slow gin, but that's an S-L-O-W, yep. not an S-L-O-E. Yeah, we're not very good at spelling here in Byron Bay, we've come to realise. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So it's actually just been, uh, like it. <laughs> that's no, awesome. I'm pulling your leg back, Kim. Oh. Um, no, <laughs> we, we did that. So we, we used the Davidson Plum, and the Davidson Plum is native and indigenous to the rainforest of this re region of northern rivers. And there is a traditional English style of gin called the slow gin, S-L-O-E, uh, and it uses a slow berry, very tart, very quite bitter, acidic, uh, and, and and it's also got a bit of a marzipan character to it. Now, you take a look at the Davidson Plum, it's almost the same, extremely acidic, extremely tannic, but without that marzipan quality. And, you know, that's a style of spirit that people knew. And, uh, and, I was, and I've worked with a lot of English slow gins, and I was going, well, surely our native produce can be at, at the forefront and, and should be celebrated. So we used, I used the Davidson Plum as, as, this, as the forefront of this spirit, this gin, and we aged the, the Davidson Plums in gin for around about 12 months. And, uh, yeah, we just get this incredible depth of flavour and um, it was a, an exciting to show that it's very similar to that style, but it is purely native to Australia. And really, you know, that's where I believe our food and drink culture should be around using native flavours and, and, and showcasing them, not a garnish on a plate, but that should be the plate. I think that's a real 
that's a really interesting area, isn't it? Because I mean, you guys are using produce and and you know ingredients that that are native to where you are, and there's a real push at the moment in terms of looking at using native ingredients, but then also doing that in a way that's respectful and you know, recompenses or involves the Australian, you know, Indigenous population the way that it should because uh, your actual gin as well is all using native ingredients, isn't it? I mean, obviously it needs junipers, but then the actual other aromatics within that are coming from the native the native space. How do you guys work with that? How does that, how does including those ingredients and doing that in a mindful way work for you guys? Yeah, so so I suppose for us, when you look at our spirits we have in market, so we've got our dry gin, we distill 25 botanicals, 17 of which are, are not just native Australian ingredients, they're indigenous to our region of northern rivers, are kind of the big scrub rainforest where that was. Then you have our slow gin infused with purely just Davidson plum uh, and it's showcasing the Jerseyana variety. We use a little bit of the Purian variety. But then we have our roasted macadamia and wattle seed liqueur. So you're seeing a real sort of trend of, you know, using and showcasing. And uh, and for, for, for us, I think when Brook Farm started, really mum and dad's kind of first idea was how can we value add to this incredible, um, you know, Australia's kind of most grown bush food at the time and it's been cultivated as such. Um, and that's where we kind of look and, and you kind of you can see how that's really affected what we've done at the distillery about how can we really showcase and ground ourselves in the in native Indigenous produce or produce that's grown from our region. But when we use the dry gin, for instance, we're able to source a lot of those Indigenous botanicals straight from our rainforest. Mm, um, and that's a sh- <laughs> yeah, quite, it's not a bad pantry to go. Yeah, not a bad pantry. Problem, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look at that. Little did you know, like, you know, the, the 25 years ago in that scrub. Yeah. <laughs> today you'll just be going, yep, land, <laughs> Yes. We'll get gin out of this place. Gonna, that's right. <laughs> if you'd known. If only you'd known, that would have been the thing, wouldn't it? Instead of being told, you know, um, we're going to take you to the beach, it would just be that yeah. one day we'll, we'll be able to make gin. <laughs> you'll be able to make a good hard liquor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think for us, we, we get to source a lot from our, our rainforest, but we also, you look at the bush food industry in Northern Rivers, um, it's one that's growing and, and you talk about what is our food and, uh, and drink culture, you know, still the bush food industry has a long way to go. You know, really, uh, I, I think it was that Renee Redzepi, uh, in, you know, in, incredible um, international chef. He came to Australia at one of the mad conferences, the food conferences. He went around Australia before and he talked and he said he was just shocked going around to restaurants, to bars, to all of this. And you travel around anywhere else in the world and you look at what is their food and drink culture. It is what is grown naturally and native to their land. And we're, we're, we've got a long way to go still. So, we get a lot, source a lot from different bush food growers in our region and there's a lot of small farmers that we support or the majority, about 90% of our Davidson plums come from this region, um, only a splattering from, from Queensland. But it's one thing to, you know, we're continuing to work on. One of the, I suppose, one of the bugbearers for us in our, in our local area is there, um, there's not as much Indigenous farming operations that we can source directly from and that's something we've actually got a few programs 
working on. Um, like Will mentioned, there's a lot of uh, unused land in this area and we've got a few projects to uh, have Indigenous farmers cultivating that land and that we can buy that produce back from. So it's probably a little – there are some great ones in other areas, um, but it's one thing as we look at, you know, things we would like to have a greater impact on in the, in the industry, that's that's definitely one of that we're pretty proud that we can source all of our native ingredients, you know, around our doorstep or from our local suppliers here. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the whiskey. Ah, the whiskey. Yes, <laughs> I get that question I, a little bit. <laughs> when I um when I was up there visiting um you guys and your your mum and dad, I, I don't know how far on it was in the process, but I know Pam said to me that she almost had a a, a counter on her bedside table. <laughs> yes, she's got the whiskey calendar every day with the whiskey calendar. calendar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the good news is technically that day has come. Uh, whiskey is whiskey, which is two years aging in a in a wooden barrel or an oak cask in Australia. So, for us, just to go back, you know, Jim McEwen, who who's one of our co-founders and part owner in the business, you know, we're a family ownership, and Jim with a small part there. He's a legend, you know, created the botanist gin, but. He, the work he has done in the world of Scotch whiskey in the industry, you know, this guy is the most awarded Scotch whiskey distiller, and the impact that he's had onto the industry, um, you know, as an educator and a communicator, you know, he's just regarded as a rock star in the world of whiskey. And you know, people talk about and hear sherry cask maturation or wine cask maturation used in whiskey. He was the guy that you know started that at the time in the whiskey industry that was breaking all the rules you know um and he's always been a bit of a rule breaker especially with optimal he, he, put, he created a whiskey that's um you know you know it's going to go that's went further than any whiskey's gone before but his work in the scotch or the single malt whiskey industry is really revered so we had this project about our next chapter of our distillery, which is our single malt production. And around two years ago, in February 2019, we started that. So we work with Stonerwood. They produce, um, you know, they're pretty good beer manufacturers. If yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm to good. say that yeah, in that in the most, <laughs> No, these guys are just, in my mind, uh, and, and, you know, you, you look at the accolades and you speak to industry these guys are just, in my mind, Australia's leading beer manufacturers. And they, you talk about quality filters and where they put quality, you know, that's at the first, first and foremost, but also their impact and respect and growth in, in the community. So we were so ecstatic to work with them. Um, they produce our beer just down the road in Byron Bay. We drive it up the hill. Well, it's, it's called wort. That we're unfermented, and we ferment and distill that twice at the distillery, and then that spirit, that new make spirit, goes into oak casks, uh, predominantly ex bourbon, and then they live in the rainforest here in our distillery in the hinterland of Byron Bay, and you get this almost marine climate mixing with the rainforest air, and that is. That's the maturation of our whiskey. So uh, it's going to be launching later this year for our first release. Um, we're not rushing it to bottle, but uh, we, yeah, it's pretty pretty spectacular at the moment and we're really, really happy with it. So I'm going to have to 
let you wait just a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very, it's very exciting, and and uh, you know, it's that whole, um, you know, good things come to those who uh, work hard, but you know, also wait. <laughs> yes. Um, Will, I want to come back to you. I want to talk about We the Many. Tell me about it. Well, uh, so We the Many. <laughs> We the many is a little bit of a, a divergence from from uh, our other two businesses. Now, not in terms of products. So we uh, we we create. I guess the first products we've created have all been about getting functional food into your everyday diet. And when I say that, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of bits and pieces that people talk about with functional food, and you just it's it's lip service. What we're doing is so we have a, a granola, uh, which is an, it's a designed to be anti-inflammatory. Now, the, the way that it's done is we're using turmeric, but we're not using turmeric itself. We're using curcumin, which is the, the, um, the anti-inflammatory, I guess, compound that's within turmeric. We're using beetroot for, as an antioxidant and has these incredible... Uh, effects on exercise performance and endurance. We've got green banana resistant starch that we're using for a prebiotic granola and a porridge. So all of these, you, we've got a, a raft of scientific papers that that back all of those ingredient compounds up and that's we've got to have integrity in what we do. Uh, they have to taste great as well, obviously, um, but... They've all got to have scientific backing. We've also got to put enough of those ingredients into each of the products so you're getting a little bit of a, the right amount of dosage so it's not that lip service thing. So that's the product. But the bit that's really different and the core influence, the tenet of, of what we're doing is all around environmental sustainability with We The Many. So what does that mean? We talk about um, a whole lot of businesses being environmentally sustainable and Again, this comes from our, the farm heritage that we have with Brook Farm and with Cape Iron Distillery. But I wanted to create something where it was inextricably linked, where sustainability and business are inextricably linked. And the way that we've done that is that 50% of the profits from everything at We The Many are invested uh, so not donated, that's an important, uh, important difference. They're invested into carbon reduction projects. So the reason that they're invested is when you do that, we have to pick projects that we want to be a part of. So that could be, uh, it could be a solar farm. You could be creating a new, uh, a new way of getting batteries into cars. It could be, it could be in, you know, some sort of renewable, um, renewable energy process with kelp. And there's, there's a whole lot of, uh, different things that are, that are going on. Sorry, um, uh, renewable carbon reduction things that are happening with kelp. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I digress. Uh, but, I mean, what, so what you're saying is that this 50%, it could, you know, you're, in terms of the projects that you're choosing, you could be choosing something that's already um, underway and, and almost tangible, like a solar farm, or it could be going into something like research into looking at, you know, the ways that kelp can be used in terms of carbon reduction. Exactly. Is that exactly. fair? Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. And the, the key thing is that we have to pick good businesses and good projects that we're not just, we're not exporting our responsibility off to someone else. We're saying... We want to actually be able to tangibly be reducing carbon and the greater our investment, the more carbon 
we should be uh, sequestering or reducing from the environment. So as the business grows, the better, the more the business grows, the better for the environment it becomes. And it's like it's just completely a part of how the place is run from the very start. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's right. It's built in at the it's built in at the foundation. It's not build the company and then try and slot the sustainable actions in on top of it. Exactly, and I I think part of the influence comes from you know we talked about rainforest regeneration and things like that with Brook Farm and the influence of of this type of thing is business and sustainability shouldn't be separated. One of the reasons why we regenerate rainforest on the farm at Brook Farm and at the distillery is because there's actually a benefit for the macadamia. We The macadamia is a subtropical rainforest plant. Its natural environment is the rainforest. So if you take that thing completely out of the rainforest, it's not going to perform as well. Your crop's not going to be as good. You're not going to have pollination. You're not going to have native species looking after your pest management and things like that. So, uh, and same with the, the distillery is we've got this incredible pantry of ingredients that have come because we've created a rainforest that we regenerate. Big scrub rainforest is what it is, which used to be part of this area, which we really try and advocate for, for people to, to become a part of and regenerate their rainforest that they have on their farm because there will be a benefit, not for, only for yourself from an emotional point of view, from an environmental point of view, but for the farm that you're a part of as well. So and that's, that's, I guess, some of the background as to the influence as to why it happens, but it's a completely new business venture, which we're super excited about and also something that I would encourage other new business uh, business people, entrepreneurs, to, to make that part of that way of investing in your sustainability future a part of the business as well. So hopefully proving a new model is what we're doing. Yeah. And tell me about the, how did you come to the new model? Like, have you seen it done in like other countries or in other companies in Australia and you went, let's give that a red hot go? Or was this something that you just sort of went, oh, let's just turn this on its head and see how it goes? Uh, I've, I've never heard of a company doing it uh, as, as part of the business itself. So quite often what it comes down to is uh, uh, someone, an entrepreneur creates a business um, the owners of that business receive the profits from from that, and then they make their own choices on how they invest their dollars. Uh, some people do that, you know, uh, purely from a, a financial perspective. Some people do it from an environmental perspective. Some combine the the two. I guess one of the tipping points was I was at this Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, so as part of Brook Farm, and. Um, one of the people speaking at this event was John Hewson, who's done incredible things in terms of sustainability and finance in Australia. And he was talking about the performance of sustainable investments compared to others. And, you know, I'm thinking, why, don't, why doesn't everyone invest sustainably? You're going to get a... Because uh, it's proven. It's it proven, proven financial it? benefit, yeah. proven yeah. environmental benefit. And so I'm like, well, why don't I create a business that puts these two together? So we're relying on the two and, and try and prove this model so that people can take this into the future. So where, where are you at with it? So we recently, at the end of last year, we completed a crowdfunding campaign. So this is a completely grassroots 
business starting from the ground up. So it's us and actually two of the members of Stoned Wood. So it's a very, you know, it's a bit of a Byron family happening here. Uh, I love the uh, idea as well. Uh, but we needed to get it off the ground because we, you know, we've all got our own businesses happening. So we started a crowdfund. That crowdfund was successful uh, to really get those first products out there to get, you know, get those first products rolling down the production line. So we, we've done that. We've been able to then, since then, bring our products to market. So you'll be able to find them in IGAs uh, all along the eastern seaboard, really. And it's been, it's been picked up really well. I'm super excited about the future of the, the business and what it can become. Mm. Well, I think that's a great place to put a line under the conversation for today. Um, that's so exciting. And um, and we will definitely be checking back in with you to um, to see how it's going and 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 how it develops. And uh, and Ed will be checking back in, and uh, that uh, whiskey will um, yeah. I'll um, give you my address afterwards. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> it's, a, it's not a hard ask to get someone to uh, to come to a distillery. That's for sure. <laughs> twist, twist my arm, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's um I really think what your mum and dad started all those years ago and how you guys have now uh, picked up the torch and uh, and are really driving it forward is is actually really quite inspiring and a really great story. So I'm so pleased you could make time to have a chat with us today. Uh, thanks so much. We will definitely catch up again and find out where um where the Brook family is uh, you know, kicking goals further down the track. Oh yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Kim. Thanks, Grant. Well, thanks, Will. Thanks, Eddie. And thanks, Kim. That's been a, a great discussion. I've really enjoyed listening in on this one. Uh, you know, healthy, sustainable, environmentally friendly foods. Oh, and a distillery with gin. And, <laughs> you know, tick, 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 tick. As, yeah. as Kim said at the start of the episode, winning on so many fronts. Yeah. So, uh, Thanks, folks, and uh, thanks to the audience for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode, but until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.